This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In the 1990s, lingerie retailer Victoria's Secret popped up around America's bustling malls, offering a very specific store experience. It's pink and gold. It's very loud, booming music. Huge screen showing the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Mannequins with the products. Walls of different lingerie. It's very loud and decorative. For millions of its customers, Victoria's Secret defined what sexy looked like. Pink push-up bras, long-legged supermodels, and barely-there swimsuits. And it made billions of dollars off that marketing. But today, the company's image and business are diminished, and it's racked with questions around its culture and allegations of sexual harassment. Plus, it's getting sold. This week, Victoria's Secret announced a private equity firm was buying control of the retailer. The sale caps off a long, slow decline for the brand, one that follows changes in shopping habits, social trends, and the career of one man. Today on the show, the legacy of Victoria's Secret and of the man behind the company. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, February 21st. The sale of Victoria's Secret ultimately marks a failure of the central philosophy of its owner, Les Wexner. Wexner has been running Victoria's Secret's parent company, L Brands, for 57 years. And he's been able to stay on top for that long because he's placed his bets on the mall. He has a whole school of thought around malls and how people crave social interactions and the place that they're going to get these social interactions are places like malls. Khadija Safdar covers retail. He's looked to places like Turkey and Rome, where he says there's been ancient bazaars where people have gathered to socialize and exchange goods. And he thinks that that's something that hasn't changed over thousands of years. For that reason, he thinks it's smart to build a business model and something that's going to be constant throughout the years. Wexner's belief that malls are a constant fueled his decades of success. As shopping malls took off in America, he created tons of iconic stores. Over the course of time, he's owned, like, The Limited, Express, Lane Bryant, New York & Company, Henry Bendel, Bath & Body Works, Pink, La Senza. I mean, that's not even the whole list. Abercrombie & Fitch? Abercrombie. Oh, that's a big one that I missed. Abercrombie & Fitch, yeah. He built all of these brands on his core idea of what shoppers want in malls. Not department stores, but specialty retail stores that sell all their own products and have a unique store experience. And one that Wexner had particularly great success with was Victoria's Secret, which he bought in 1982 for $1 million. What was Victoria's Secret when he bought it? It was just a catalog in six stores. Wexner took Victoria's Secret from six stores in a catalog to a multi-billion dollar business. And along the way, he shaped the entire lingerie industry. 
I think a good analogy is that the way that you buy basic items on Amazon, it's kind of an afterthought. That's the way that lingerie was in a department store. It was maybe on the back shelf. He took that and he made it more mainstream and associated with a brand. You now have a store experience where you go in and you get sized and there's different colors and lace and just a completely different experience around lingerie and made it something that was more front and center. One pivotal moment in Victoria's Secret's growth came about a decade into Wexner's ownership, when the company was facing down some competition. In the mid-1990s, Victoria's Secret was vying for market share with the company called Sara Lee Corp. It had invented the Wonder Bra. Wexner's answer to the Wonder Bra was the heavily padded Miracle Bra. One is a miracle, one is a wonder. Was it essentially the same thing? It was like a what is known as a push-up bra? It was a push-up bra. I don't know the exact mechanics that went into building the both. But, I mean, the thing that really differentiated the Miracle Bra by Victoria's Secret was the advertising and the marketing. Get a Miracle Bra. Miraculous. 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 I believe. This type of marketing would become a central aspect of Victoria's Secret's brand. As Wexner grew the company, he focused a lot on fashioning a particular image of women. One of the commercials had a bunch of women in lingerie and holding a cigar and talking about how they're angels. This is my club. Says who? (laughs) Good angels go to heaven. Victoria's Secret angels go everywhere. They wanted to be provocative and sexy and very feminine. And Wexner turned to one man to carry out his marketing plan. The person who is the face of Victoria's Secret marketing is Edward Razik. He came on board after Les Wexner acquired Victoria's Secret. What I've heard from former executives at Victoria's Secret was that he was really the executor for Les Wexner, and he would take his ideas and make them come to life. And with the marketing, that's what he did. And there was one crowning part of Wexner's marketing plan that Razik was left to execute, the Victoria's Secret fashion show, which put lingerie in a space rarely seen before, the runway. And Razik controlled it all. He chose the models for the fashion show. He chose which models can be angels, which is like a higher designation. He also decided the aesthetic. So he would be there when they were filming commercials. He was involved in all those decisions. And do you know anything about what his philosophy was for the type of woman he wanted to be the face of the brand? What I've heard from former executives at Victoria's Secret and people who've worked there is he really wanted this overtly sexy image that was scantily clad women. He really turned the idea of a Victoria's Secret model into this really exclusive club where you have to look a particular way. Over time, the show became a cultural institution. Night on television, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. Featuring Each year, the show was broadcast on a major TV network. Millions of people tuned in to watch pop stars like Taylor Swift and Rihanna perform, and beautiful models strut the catwalk in Victoria's Secret lingerie. A lot of people credit the Victoria's Secret fashion show for kind of popularizing the idea of the supermodel. And the fashion show actually helped elevate the careers of several supermodels like Giselle Bündchen and Tyra Banks. But the heyday of Victoria's Secret wouldn't last forever. That's after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Welcome back. In recent years, Victoria's Secret has faced a lot of challenges, some related to its struggling business, and some related to company culture, and more specifically to Ed Razik, Wexner's chief marketing officer. In 2018, Ed Razik gave an interview to Vogue, and he told Vogue that he didn't want to cast a transgender model in the show. And that got so much backlash internally inside the company. People complained and said that he was creating an unwelcoming work environment. Razik later apologized for these comments and said he, quote, absolutely would cast a transgender model. He left the company last year, but Razik's time there recently resurfaced as an issue for Victoria's Secret. Just recently, the New York Times published a story that said Ed Razik had been harassing models and employees. A lot of the allegations stem around his behavior during the casting and putting together of the fashion show. There is a model who's on the record in the story saying that he had made inappropriate advances towards her. Razik has denied those allegations and a spokesman for Wexner declined to comment on them. The company's independent directors released a statement in response to the Times reporting that said, quote, We have made significant strides in ensuring that the company provides a safe, welcome, and empowering workplace for every associate. We regret any instance where we did not achieve this objective. Those allegations against Razik came less than a year after Wexner had to answer for his connections to alleged child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. For many years, Epstein managed Wexner's money. But former executives also said that Epstein tried to offer advice on which women would become Victoria's Secret models. Employees at the company have said they were troubled by Wexner's connections to Epstein. Wexner said he ended the relationship more than a decade ago and that he was embarrassed by it. But these associations were not the thing that most affected Victoria's Secret's business. Around 2016, a drop in sales called into question the future of the company. Wexner decided to take over managing the brand to fix it. He made some big changes. He got rid of Victoria's Secret's swim line, stopped the catalog business. But there was one thing he didn't really touch. Victoria's Secret's image. A lot of the backlash that has been coming to Victoria's Secret in recent years is that they have sort of tried to define what sexy should look like and that they choose their supermodels and then everyone else, they don't fit into that image. There's been just a lot of backlash to that idea. It's a backlash that rivals have started grabbing onto. More than a dozen lingerie companies, many founded by women, have launched in the last few years. 
and they are all pushing a new sort of marketing image. So they're natural. They're just women. Um, they're looking away from the camera. No, like, come-hither looks from the models the way that you see in the Victoria's Secret. They're not floating on clouds with angel wings and cigars? So they take in a completely opposite stance to that. They're really emphasizing either performance like sport or they're emphasizing comfort and talking about how they're going to make it fit properly and you can wear it to work. And it's just completely different messaging. And it's not just new marketing that these companies pushed. They had inclusive sizing, nude tones for all skin types, and bras that were simpler. There's this new trend, the bralette, where there's no padding, basically the opposite of what Victoria's Secret is known for, which is a highly structured, padded push-up bra. And Victoria's Secret tried to get in on the trend. You know, they made TV commercials of girls running around in bralettes. And then after those commercials, people were reacting on Twitter and saying, this feels really inauthentic. You can't just tell us for decades that padded push-up bras is what we need to wear, and then all of a sudden... No padding is sexy. (laughs) I think that was one of the taglines for the commercials was no padding is sexy. And so consumers didn't feel like it was very authentic to that brand. Victoria's Secret was growing out of touch with what consumers seemed to want. Wexner had faced problems with his other brands before. And with those companies, he seemed to have a nose for when it was time to sell them. He got a reputation for being someone who can kind of see the future because in the 1990s, people weren't as excited to buy clothes anymore. It wasn't a hot category. So Wexner started snapping off his apparel brands and just sold them off and got rid of them. And that was really the heart of what his business was about. So people thought at the time that, you know, this is really strange. He's selling off these apparel brands. I mean, he sold The Limited, which was the first store he started, but it turned out to be a really good decision because a lot of them have gone bankrupt or aren't doing as well. Wexner was facing similar pressure to make a move like this with Victoria's Secret. And on top of the marketing problems and the sales problems, there was another reason for that pressure. The decline of the venue where Wexner had staked his and Victoria's Secret's reputation, the mall. Mall traffic was dropping at the time. I knew, if you recall during that time, this was like the headlines that you were seeing where the retail apocalypse is happening. Malls are shutting down. There was like a record number of bankruptcies. Online shopping was pulling traffic away from malls. And it was during this time that Khadija went to meet Wexner in a shopping mall to see what his plan was to save Victoria's Secret. He heavily defended the mall. He says, I've got 5,000 years of history on my side. And he talked about the different stores in the mall and told me that, you know, there's a lot of stores that are still doing well. Wexner believes that retail really starts with the product. And if you're selling an interesting product and something that people want to buy, then they'll come in the store for that. He pointed out Sephora and Apple as stores that are still continuing to be very productive. I mean, he pointed out all the shoppers that were in the mall at that time. At this point in time, Wexner could have made a decision to phase out the mall presence and take Victoria's Secret in a different, more online direction to match the way consumers were shopping. But as he told Khadija then, he didn't think that was the right approach. While so many other stores in the mall were closing, to him, the mall locations of Victoria's Secret weren't the problem. And neither was the company's marketing. It was the merchandise that needed more fixing. When there's a problem with the company, he always says, it's the merchandise, stupid. The first place that he looks to address 
is product. And that's exactly what he did. He moved and started shifting to sports attire and different types of product lines. And he didn't really touch the marketing. And that's where a lot of analysts and industry lookers were suggesting that Victoria's Secret needs to change. The changes that Wexner made to the products, adding in sports bras and athleisure wear, haven't been enough to keep Victoria's Secret from its decline. The company also tried to make changes to its marketing. Last year, they canceled the fashion show. But that wasn't enough either. Which perhaps is why yesterday, Wexner announced he was going to step down as CEO and sell Victoria's Secret. With the sale of the company, Bath & Body Works is now the one brand his company controls. What does this sale mean for Wexner's legacy? The sale, I mean, it's not a great note to end a company on to be selling it and because you couldn't turn it around yourself. I think it shows you how quickly retail changes, you know, like he has had a pretty long run, but to go from limited brands that owned several stores that defined what mall culture was in the 1990s and then have just essentially one brand, it's a huge change. Does it kind of mean he stayed on too long? Like he lost his magic touch? I think there's a lot of analysts and investors that probably think that. When we first reported that Wexner was stepping down, the stock actually went up significantly, suggesting that analysts were optimistic about him leaving, which is something unique because I had been covering the company for three years, and normally when you talk to analysts or investors, they always thought that Les Wexner, you know, he's the person who understands retail. He's the retail profit. So to look at how fortunes have changed that quickly over time and that he's no longer there is a big change. And it was a pretty rapid change. The sale of Victoria's Secret to the private equity firm Sycamore Partners values the company, which has about $7 billion in sales and more than 1,000 stores, at $1.1 billion. That's all for today, Friday, February 21st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are me, Ryan Knudsen. And me, Kate Leinbaugh. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, and Rob Zipko. Our senior producer is Pia Godkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Distance, John Kimbrough, Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Hannah Paul Townsend, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Katherine Anderson for additional mixing this week. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.